The Profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Well, hello and welcome to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio with me, Sam Hales. The Profile is brought to you in association with the magazine I help edit, Premier Christianity. If you'd like to get a free sample copy of our latest issue, you can do that. Just head over right now to our website, premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. Now, today on The Profile, I'm talking to Alicia Harris. She is a poet and PhD candidate at Yale University, her performance poetry has had millions of views on YouTube and she's currently touring the UK. Alicia, welcome to the programme. Thanks for having me, Sia. Now, you're still very young. Do you have to sort of stop and pinch yourself that here you are sort of touring internationally already? No, um, <laughs> especially when, you know, I tour and I work with a lot of college-age students, so people who are 10 years younger than me, and it really shows sometimes <laughs> um, the difference in age gap. So uh, yesterday I was hanging out with some students and they were amazing and bright and brilliant and energetic and I was also like I definitely am 28 and they <laughs> definitely are 18. <laughs> Brilliant well um, we always here on the profile like to go back and talk about people's early life so yeah. can you tell me something about your background where you grew up and what life was mm-hmm. like? Yeah um, I grew up in Virginia um, in Alexandria Virginia which is right outside of Washington DC um, and um, I grew up with my mom my dad was around. My parents were divorced like pretty early. I don't have any recollection of my parents being together. Um, and I grew up in the church. Uh, my grandmother was a deaconess um, at um, First Baptist Church in D.C. And um, and I grew up and I was an only child. And I was, I think I was like a very eccentric. My mom <laughs> didn't really. She's very permissive and encouraging in a lot of ways in terms of like I she let me wear the craziest clothes you know when I was in like high school I would like wear like almost like makeup like face paint um, and she would let me wear it to school and she was like you know if you if you know if that if that makes you happy if that's how you want to express yourself go ahead um and so I always felt like very encouraged by her um yeah and then I started writing poetry wow just like that well, my fifth grade teacher, um, so I, I guess I was about 10. I guess maybe you guys don't have fifth grade, but, or don't We'll say it 10 that. years old. Yes. Um, so I was about 10. And um, my teacher was showing us a lesson about poetry. It was the first time that I'd really like heard of it. I mean, I guess I had heard of it, but um, not really familiar with it. And she um, was describing a sonnet, and she read a sonnet um, by William Shakespeare. I can't remember which one it was, but I was just like, that's how I actually think in my brain. I just really? didn't know wow. that that's what you called it. And so I took all of math class and I wrote down a sonnet and then I gave it to her at recess. And she was like, did you write this? And I was like, yes. <laughs> uh, and, and so from then on, I just kept writing poems. Wow. So yeah. you, you think in poetry. Yeah. That's really interesting. From someone who, obviously, I do not. What <laughs> I was going to say, what's that like? But then I guess you know no other way of thinking. Well, I mean, I think one of the things is you're always interested in um, not just what people are saying, but how they say it. Mm. So, like, the rhythm, like, the accent, the, the meter, 
um, specific word choice. And those things were always very interesting to me. And as a child, I was so fascinated with language. I wanted to learn every language. I used to like borrow books, check out books about like hieroglyphics and try to teach myself hieroglyphics, try to teach myself Arabic. But that was Be difficult. <laughs> it was very difficult. But I just loved language. I just loved like its materiality. Mm. I love how it felt when you said words. And so I think poetry was a way to like really be extravagant mm. with language. Yeah. You mentioned you had a, a Christian upbringing. Mm -hmm. Has it been sort of fairly straightforward since then? Faith's come quite naturally? Um, I think faith has always been super important to me and it was never something. So I never went through a phase where I was like, I don't know if God is real or I don't know. I, I wasn't, I was never um, in doubt of God. I was in doubt of Christianity mm. at, at points in my life. Um, pretty seriously, actually. I, I From about seven to about 18, faith was a really big part of my life. And I went to college and I fell in love with somebody who was of a different faith. And um, I was like, well, maybe I just believe what I believe because I was told it. Mm -hmm. Maybe I, maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong. Um, and that led to like a pretty um, deep exploration of Islam, mm -hmm. um, and for about two years or so. And I never, I never converted. I was just always like, I'm questioning. Yeah. Um, so I still kept reading the Bible. I just also read the Quran. I, I never, um, I kept praying. To, to the Trinity, to, to my understanding of who God was, but I kept being like, but maybe there's something mm -hmm. um, in Islam that I'm missing in Christianity. And I actually think it like fundamentally enriched my Christianity to a point where I am a stronger Christian because I um, uh, familiarized myself with Islam. Mm. Um, but at the end of the day, it came down to like a very simple. Very heartbreaking, but very simple uh, decision. Okay. Um, yeah. I want to talk more about that later because it's a really interesting journey you went on and you clearly know a huge amount about Islam. I understand you know Arabic and you spent some time traveling mm -hmm. uh, the Middle East. But but for now, you know, in, in describing yourself as a Christian, what does that kind of mean to you today? Yeah. Um, I think it means probably more now than it used to mean and in in like an active sense i think i use i would have used to define it in terms of like a set of beliefs mm. and now i like think about a set of orientations towards the world and towards other people and towards god so for me if i could sum up christianity it would be you know nothing else matters but sacrificial love and out of that love comes like incredible freedom mm. incredible freedom to be your complete self the self that you were before you were damaged by like the world and everything else um and to also like see the potential freedom in like everyone else around you mm. um and to, to be able to celebrate that with joy i think like joy is probably one of the the like the, the pinnacles or like the deepest blessings of Christianity I, I can think of. And so, yeah, I would say freedom and joy out of love. That's great. Now, um, performance poetry is, of course, what you're known for. Mm -hmm. It's been described as an art form for people who have something to say, who want to say it beautifully mm -hmm. and want to ensure others hear them. Does mm -hmm. that capture what you seek to do? Yeah, I think so. Well, yeah. can we hear some? Uh, yeah. You want to hear a poem? I'd love to hear it. Okay. <clears throat> I'm going to make sure that I remember it. <clears throat> and this is a poem that I wrote to um, for my mom. Um, 
you know, I don't think mothers often get enough credit, and mm -hmm. I rarely ever talk about my family in my poetry. Um, I'm pretty transparent, but that I don't know why, but that's just something that I never talk about. So this is like the one poem that I have written to my mother. She calls to me as she stands in the kitchen soaking the skillet and asks me to hand her the salt. Fried eggs, buttermilk biscuits, and sage tea between us and our last fight, and hunger settles like an easier kind of forgiveness. She swallows coffee the color of my skin after first boiling the milk in a sky-blue kettle till it weeps. One afternoon, she'll catch me in bed with the bourbon, crying and solving crossword puzzles. My ex will be getting married 30 miles away, tearing out my insides in front of a bridal bouquet and a banquet of friends and distant relatives. I'll say, Mama, I'm finished. I'm famished. I'm drooling from the aisles of my heart. And she'll dress me and brush my hair without saying a word, as if to say, baby, some boys is poison, but you are the only diamond that I will ever wear. Mama, I've, I've often thought of you as the fourth member of the Trinity, though you never asked for any glory or any recognition. You gave me many titles for the inside of your palm, my back door into church, on the days where I confused steeple with scalpel, on the days I was still sleeping in the chest of someone who didn't treasure me, but you kept telling me to rise. Even on days when the sky is sucking its teeth and the sun is throwing shade, your breast been my Bible. Backhand been my paddle, bristle brush and snot rag, mama. You cut the crust off my white bread and cut your eyes when I was talking back and cut those boys for talking smack. You know, I might be God's daughter and Jesus might save, but I'm still the girl you named and the woman you raised, and there is no one else to thank for that small victory. That was beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Um, it, it strikes me just as I as I listen to you. It's, it's incredibly powerful when I'm just sitting across from you hearing that, in a way that can't ever be captured on a online YouTube video. And of course, you have had millions of yeah. hits, <laughs> but there's there is something very special about it in a live sense. Mm -hmm. And of course, this is what I guess performance poetry thrives off of. Yeah. Do you feel that sort of a connection when you're when you're in a room? Maybe there aren't even necessarily many people in the room, but it seems like quite an intimate art form. Yeah, I mean it is. I mean one of the things that I love about live performance, especially <clears throat> written work, well, even if it's a reading, is when you see the moment where the writer is having an emotional connection to mm. their work. So I remember watching this one girl read a poem about growing up. I'm going to an all-girls school in South Africa. And she talks about like the way that she, she and three of her friends were mocked for their different accent. And this, it's as the moment that she's talking about it, this huge smile just spreads across her face. And like watching that happen mm. and then that triggering a smile within me. I wasn't there. Like I don't know how these girls talk, but clearly for her, it is like inciting some deep memory that's like pleasurable. And that I think is like one of the most beautiful things when you can like watch another person like emote mm. and then that inspires like 
the same emotion in you, even though you weren't there. It's like, I don't know, it's like alchemy somehow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it strikes me as well, there's, there's a lesson there, I think, massively for the church. I mean, I can think, I'm sure you, you're the same, think of times in church where someone does a reading and they're just reading the words on the page. And yet when another person does perhaps that <laughs> yeah. same reading and you can tell they mean it, yeah. There's, yeah. there's an enormous difference there. Yeah, I mean, people, everyone, everyone everywhere is looking for authenticity. Um, I think one of the reasons why, at least in some contexts, I think especially in like with high school students in the states at least like um, we see like sagging populations of kids in church at that point is because they're really looking to figure themselves yeah. out and figure out the world around them and if they don't feel like the church is a place where they can in like even ask questions with authentically and get authentic answers from mm. people who are like yeah I've lived this I haven't always been perfect I haven't always had all the answers but here's here's the things that I do know and here are the things that I don't know I think like that's a much more compelling like it's a much more compelling belief system um, and it allows space for people to sort of grow and change and shift and mm. learn and um, and I think like that is ultimately what Christianity gives me, at mm. least what God gives me, right? Like He's like gracious with my, <laughs> and patient <laughs> with my like slow learning time. <laughs> um, but like he, he, I think he blesses me when I am sincere, even in a doubt or a question. Mm-hmm. Um, and like he knows like what to do with it. Yeah, sure. Um, you mentioned earlier that you don't often uh, talk about your family and your and your poetry. Would you say there are particular themes that you do find yourself expressing in poetry yeah. a lot? Is is that like a deliberate thing to focus on some key issues? I don't think it's deliberate. I mean, I I don't think the themes are deliberate. I, I deliberate. I think the um, the um, the the orientation has to be the same. So right, if I'm talking about heartbreak then I have to talk about how I have lived through it and come to some understanding, which ultimately, hopefully, even if I'm not healed yet, mm. will lead to healing. Mm-hmm. I don't want to like leave my audience in a place of like hurt and trauma and despair because I don't know what they're going back to mm-hmm. after the show. Right. So like my goal is to always point in the direction of like healing and restoration, even if I'm not yet there. Right. So I think like that's, a huge like that every poem I feel like has to have that in Mm. there um, at some point but I think I've dealt a lot with issues with love um, because that's well until maybe three years ago like that was like the thing that I felt like the most um, pain Mm. in so like relationships and I think I also dealt a lot with place and travel um, because I travel quite a bit and so I've had like really um life-changing experiences in the places that I've lived and the places that I've traveled. So I've written about those places and the the emotions and the feelings and the thoughts they've Mm -hmm. inspired. And I do write a lot about faith, just not necessarily in the canonical, like, like religious sense. Mm -hmm. I write about like faith, God, but like I said earlier, my, my, like my audience isn't, um, I don't conceive of my audience as being predominantly Christian. Sure. So that also shapes the way that I talk about yeah. things. But, you know, that's an amazing strength in that it means you're reaching outside of just the, the sort of the four walls of the church, so to speak. Um, if you can bring faith into a predominantly secular mm-hmm. society, I mean, arguably mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. that's not just as important as Christians making art mm-hmm. for, for Christians. It's arguably even more important, right? 
Yeah, I think like there's both. So I have friends who like write for a predominantly Christian audience and um one of the things I'm like the church needs to be edified just as well. Like the body of Christ needs to be built up and um in performing your poems and sharing your talent, you can build up the body, people who are experiencing hurt or suffering or don't feel like they're being seen in that moment, you can minister to them. I'm like, that's, yes. I'm like, and also, <laughs> there's some of us who are like, you do that and I'm gonna do this other thing, which for me is saying like, I don't know, what I do know is that people have been like, after shows, they've been like, you talk about, I don't know, God or, or faith or, or hope or joy in your poems, and like, where does that that where does that come from? Mm -hmm. Like, I want that. Then I'm like, oh yeah, well now <laughs> we can have like a private yeah. conversation where like I can get to know you and you can get to know me. Yeah. Um, but like, and I think like that's really the model. Yes, Jesus preached on the mount, but he also like took people aside mm -hmm. and had like personal conversations with them. And mm -hmm. I think like. I'm trying to reach like a broader group of people and sure. those who are interested or, or or yeah or intrigued who want to know more they can come talk to me and then we can talk about like where I have found those yeah, things. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, how has the response been from Christians? I mean, you say you, you don't write predominantly for Christians, but when those of faith do hear your music, is mm -hmm. there generally a positive reaction or has there been some some negative responses yeah, as well? Yeah, both. Um I've had people who are like, you know, your 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 Christianity is false. Really? Uh, yeah. Um, you know, like, you're too secular. Um, you, uh, like, your theology is off. Um, and then I've had other folks be like, thank you for finally talking about things that mm. we never talk about. Like, thank you for, like, living out a faith that, like, is real and is, is like, fleshy. You know, it's, like, yeah. it's it has a body to it. Yeah. Um, it's not just this, like, ethereal thing. Um, and so, yeah, I've gotten both. I've gotten, like, called all types of names by <laughs> Christian folk. Um, but, you know, like... That doesn't bother you? No, not really. I'm just, like, uh, there's, like, there's a saying um, in the Quran that says, um, you know, you believe what you believe, I believe what I believe, and God will judge among us. And I'm, like, you, like, if I'm wrong, God help me and he'll correct me. Like, mm-hmm. Right now, God ain't, hasn't told me <laughs> to change anything in this type of regard. But sure. if he ever does, hopefully my posture will be holding it in open hands so mm. that he can shift it and move it. And, like, yeah. the same to you. Like, we're following, hopefully, the, the yes. same God, right, who, who wants to continue to, like, open our minds and expand us. And so if I'm wrong, then I'll be corrected. And yeah. if you're wrong, you'll be corrected. Yeah. But, like... For now sure I, I imagine this the sort of secular sacred divide that you know I've, I've encountered that to a certain extent in the American church where I've, I've been there mm -hmm. and it does exist here in this country to a certain extent but I would have thought for the most part most of Christians I know in this country not only understand that we need Christians in the mainstream world they actually want Christians to be in the mainstream world so I'm interested to know if, if the, some of the more negative feedback has that been more in America yeah yeah, yeah, totally. And, and and some in South Africa. Right. Um, yeah. I would definitely say, like, from more of the... Like, I mean, I've been a part... I was a part of a church when I lived in New Haven, Connecticut for six years. And, look, I, I performed my poems in the church. Mm. In, for, right, it, yeah. Like, d during service. Mm. Um, 
And so it was never a problem yeah. for them. But there have been other play, other communities which are like, mm, <laughs> I don't know about that. You're talking about sexuality. You're talking about this, that, and the third. I, I, I it makes me uncomfortable. And I'm like, yeah, it makes me uncomfortable too. But like, it's the truth. Yeah. Like, and the truth is like neither. The truth is well, like the truth is not is neither good nor bad. Like the truth is like a tool to like transform us. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, I can either like know the truth about myself and be ashamed about it mm -hmm. and have it transform me for the worse. Mm -hmm. Or I can like know the truth about myself, admit it and deal with it and have it transform me for the mm. better. Yeah. So like that's the way it works. Yeah. You, you talked about how your work sort of deals with very real life issues about how you want to put across a positive message so in that sense could it be seen as a kind of form of preaching in terms of you know giving a giving a positive message to people who need to hear it i i would i would not say that it is but it might be under that <laughs> definition um i think i am aware that um, the stage is a position of power, the microphone is a position of power, and, mm. like, a lot of folks have, like, what we call in the States church hurt, um, where, like, someone in a position of authority has, like, used faith to, like, harm them, or, like, they've perceived that faith has been used to harm mm -hmm. them. Um, and I don't, I don't, I do not want to do that. Mm. So I am speaking, like, purely from my personal experience i would i feel like it's less preaching and more like giving a testimony mm. so like i am giving a testimony of my own life mm. if that encourages you like amen if you don't find anything useful in it then like do with it what you will mm. um and and yeah and then i leave the preaching to like the folks <laughs> who have like the theology degrees <laughs> and are like called by god to do so you mentioned theology degrees um you know i think sometimes people when they think of creative people, artistic types, they might imagine that those kind of personality personality types, if you like, they would perhaps shy away from academia, which can be seen as quite rigid and structured. Mm -hmm. But you have a huge number of qualifications. You're working on your PhD. Mm -hmm. What's the draw of that sort of world? Because it's not just that you've done a lot of studying, you've done some teaching as well. So clearly you are pulled in that direction as well. Well, like um, my graduate work was sort of like a, a sidetrack um, that I don't really feel like as a linguist like I feel like I had a hobby or like an interest in language not only from the creative side but in the scientific side how does it work mm, in right, our mind yeah. how do we form meaning um, and I had a very specific set of questions and I went to grad school pretty much only to answer those questions okay. like for my own like curiosity mm. um, but also because I knew that grad school was the kind of lifestyle that could also um could also support a lot of touring. I didn't have to right. be at a job every day. I could take off time. I could work night, like do my papers at night instead of in the daytime. So that was also conducive to like when you have like mm. a, a crazy touring mm. schedule. Um, but I do think that um, the value in academia, it hasn't necessarily been, oh my God, my professors would kill me. Which <laughs> it hasn't necessarily been the subject matter that I've learned, but, like, the way of thinking about things. Mm. So, like, the rigor of analytical work and questioning and 
thinking about like rational, logical steps from point A to point B. That has been helpful. Mm. Both in in my faith and like how I'm like have worked through like difficult questions like the Trinity and like yeah. all these mysteries. But also like in my relationships with people and like fighting political like fighting against political ideologies that I think are ultimately harmful. And it's been really easy to be able to like sort of use those kind of strategies on myself and be like, I think I think this. Like, and I've drawn that conclusion from, like, insufficient evidence or from, like, an anecdotal story instead of, like, what I actually know to be true about mm. the world. And, like, that's been helpful, like, holding these things in tension. Wow. Really interesting. Um, you, you've written in the past that while you consider yourself a poet first and foremost, you said that poetry is just the beginning of the contribution you want to make to the world. Mm -hmm. So what do you mean by that? Well, I do love teaching but not like like I love teaching like ethics and like how do we be good to each other like mm. how do we like learn to listen to each other learn to respect each other learn to care for each other empathize with each other and like and how do we then do that work sustainably um, and that's the kind of thing that I'm interested mm. in in doing more of so I'm like developing like a workshop series called Poethics which is like geared towards teaching younger kids and high school age students um, uh, ethical principles, um, moral principles through creative writing, mm. um, through creative writing practices. Uh, because I think like education, one of the things that I felt like in, in, in graduate school and undergrad was that I am being educated at the best universities in the world. Mm -hmm. And they're only concerned like with my intellectual knowledge. Mm -hmm. They do not care about like whether I'm also being formed into like a a, a, a good human being. Mm -hmm. um, and I think education should be holistic mm -hmm. in the sense of like not only talking about our intellectual curiosities, but our spiritual needs, our emotional needs, our social responsibilities to one another. Mm -hmm. And that's what I want to hopefully teach kids through through poetry that's excellent well you're listening to the profile here on premier christian radio i'm speaking to alicia harris she's a poet and phd candidate at yale university join us right after the break for part two of our discussion the profile you're listening to premier christian radio Welcome back to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio with me, Sam Hales. The Profile is brought to you in association with the magazine that I help edit, Premier Christianity. If you'd like to check out a free sample copy of the latest issue, you can head to premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. Now, today on The Profile, I'm speaking to Alicia Harris. She's a poet and PhD candidate at Yale University, and her performance poetry has had millions of views on YouTube. She's currently touring the UK. And she joins me here right now. Alicia, um, you've, you've been talking a lot uh, in part one about you know, what you do and what drives you. Would you say you have a particular calling? How do you describe that? I think at the current moment, um, it's in 
it's an engagement and like honest engagement, mm. honest conversation. And poetry is a part of that, but I think it's expanding beyond that into like more mm. like social issues, political issues. I know that racial reconciliation is very important to you. And um, I think actually a lot of Christians here in the UK, we hear that term. We might actually immediately think of America. (laughs) But actually, there are some very deep issues here. And I think it's fair to say that the church in both our nations is often divided on racial lines. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, you have the black majority church, you have the white majority church, Mm -hmm. and often the two don't link up or don't even understand each other. Does does that bother you? Oh, yeah. Uh, You know, like, if you... Look at what the Bible says about Zion, like the God city, right? It's going to be all people of all nations and all tongues, right, coming together and praising God. If we're supposed to be bringing God's kingdom now, mm. it's not yet, but we're trying to have the breaking in of the kingdom now. How can we possibly do that if, like, the church is divided? Mm. Like, what happens at the end of time? Like, will you be like, mm actually you are over there you're over there (laughs) i don't think so um and so yeah it 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 deeply troubles me and i also think that jesus is fundamentally the only way the only thing big enough to heal what has happened what has transpired in history what is transpiring now and i there i do not think there is another way to address the problem. So if the church is not involved in these conversations, Mm. I do not believe that they will be solved. Perhaps for a lot of people listening, they wouldn't necessarily even understand perhaps even what racial reconciliation is. Yeah. Um, Especially on like a local church level. I think that would be interesting to know. Yeah. I think for us, it was recognizing that God blesses every group of people that he has created and that those traditions... that understanding, um, that kind of relationship, those individual relationships with God should be a present, a, a part of our church. Mm. So I'm just going to talk about yeah, sure. our church. And they weren't. So right. even though we were a multicultural, in terms of the members of our church, we were a white cultural, like the church, the tradition of Christianity that we practiced right, yeah. was, was, was white. And... We were like, we think there's miss. We think there's some things that are missing here, um, and also some of us are like questioning fundamentally if God loves us. Mm-hmm. Like um, after the death of um, Michael Brown, excuse me, after the murder of Michael Brown, um, I remember sitting in the car. I was driving with my father and my stepmother to Georgia, and I was like weeping in the backseat. We were listening to a gospel song, and I was weeping, and I said, like, God, do you just love white people more than you love me? Like, because I can't, I, I, I can't make sense of, like, why this keeps happening unless, like, you just love them more. And, like, maybe I don't understand why you do, but, like, can you explain this to me? Because, like, I, I don't feel heard. I feel, I feel unseen. I feel, like, unloved. I feel like a mistake. Um... Not just me, but, like, everyone that I come from. Um, And, like, very few times God speaks very clearly to me, but this is, like, one of the (laughs) times. And I I said, wouldn't segregation just be better? Like, we would be safe. Like, we would just, you know, they have their stuff, we have our stuff, and, like, never the two shall meet, like, and we'll be fine just without them. And God was like, well, of course you and your humanness can do segregation, like, but only with me, like, can, like, you actually realize the vision of what actual 
integration, not assimilation, but what integration actually looks like. That's only possible with the Holy Spirit. That's only possible following Jesus. Like you will understand more of who you are and you understand more of who I am, but that's only possible with me. Like, so can you like hold on? Like, can you like have hope? for what I have hope for. Mm. And I was like, oh, but it's so hard. Wow. Yeah. Um, and so when I say rec- racial reconciliation, I mean that. An understanding of different people bringing their whole different selves together mm. and rejoicing in who God is. Yeah. And that, especially in the church in America, I can't speak for it here, but I think a lot of Christianity has been replaced with... Um, like American exceptionalism, um, and that's terrifying. Mm. Um, and like and 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 shunning difference in a way that Jesus never did. Mm. Um, um, and I'm like, that's not that's not following yeah. our Savior. And so I want to like to help the church actually like liberate folks, mm. like join in like what Jesus does, which is like set the captives free we're all captive to like notions of prejudice of racial bias and like i just want to be free it takes too much of my time i just think about it way too much like i worry about it all the time and there are people out here who are like in the united states context who are murdering people in the streets because of their fear their irrational fear i don't want anybody to be murdered and i don't want anybody to be a murderer like you are being enslaved to something that's not truth. It's not the truth of God. And I think that's what racial reconciliation mm. means, like bringing God's truth about who we are mm. in our complexity yeah. into our lives. From uh, from a UK perspective, I think we've, many of us in this country, we've seen the rise of a movement like Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. We've seen some of the terrible images of mm-hmm. what looks like, you know, white mm-hmm. police officers in America shooting mm-hmm. often young black men. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, you know, you look at a movement like Black Lives Matter, and of course, this exists in the UK as well mm-hmm. as the US. What is your, what is your take on that movement? Mm-hmm. Is it, you know, is this something God is doing, or are there are there problems from a Christian perspective with this movement? How how do you see yeah. it? Yeah, I do think it's God. God is. I think God is working through Black Lives Matter in a way that I don't think people often see or understand. I think Black Lives Matter. What they are saying, like people read the message how they want to, Mm -hmm. but how Black Lives Matter articulates itself Mm -hmm. um, is that the lives of black people have been taken for granted, have been treated as everything but human. And we're saying that our our lives, our stories, um, our possibilities, our futures, our families, our love, that matters. And we should want to protect that and hold that sacred. There's no caveat to that. Now, people, I think especially in an American context, always have a backlash against black people asserting anything positive about themselves. Um, Whether it's like black power or black pride or black beauty. People are like, why do you have to say it's black? I'm like, because like, I'm healing myself. Like, you don't know how many times I've wished to be different from me. Like, I got to say it out loud. Um, And... Through that, I think they've they've put forward a a platform called Campaign Zero, um, which is affiliated with Black Lives Matter. It's not identical to Black Lives Matter, but it's affiliated with them, which is a, like, comprehensive um, policing reform um, uh, plan. So it's like, 
you know, more funding, um, having a civilian oversight board for instances where there's cases of police brutality, having an independent investigating organization, um, requiring all police officers to wear body cameras, requiring all police officers to have additional weapons besides their guns, Mm -hmm. Um, so a taser and 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 a baton. There's like common sense. Well, I mean, a number of those things you mentioned, <laughs> as far as I'm aware, happen in the UK. <laughs> and from a UK perspective, you think, well, of course you would have something other than a gun on you. And yeah. of course you would have some sort of, you know, there, there is an independent commission yeah. here that will oversee the police force when things go wrong. And these are common sense yeah, measures. These are like not that difficult. Sure. These are like, um, but a lot of people don't know. So people have a, like a critique of Black Lives Matter. Well, all they do is protest, but they don't put anything forward. No, they do actually put things forward. They mm. have been... They've met with people in government, and people in government have been told mm. by their superiors not to agree to any of the policies that they've been put for. So, like, that's just that's a truth that people don't know about Black Lives Matter. But I also think like they don't advocate for violence. No. They just advocate for like I'm standing here asking you, not asking you, demanding that you see me as a person, mm. and I'm not going to I'm not going to qualify that statement. Mm. And I think that makes people very nervous. Because at least in an American context, and I would probably argue on a world context, the scale of humanity goes from like white folks at the top to black people at the bottom. That's just the scale. And I'm like, when we and in the in the United States, what we have seen is when the lies when life gets better for black people, life gets better for everyone else on that scale. Mm-hmm. So like out of the civil rights movement, out of the struggles of black people, came, like came the women's rights movement, came uh, um, uh, women's ability to vote, came um, uh, um, LGBT rights in the United States, right? Uh, these are, they, these, these were battles that were fought by black people. And when we continue to say, okay, when we continue to have to say black people are human beings, mm-hmm. there is something fundamentally wrong. When you continue to see, maybe you brushed one instance off as like, okay, maybe something weird happened. But when you continue to see time after time after time mm-hmm. instances of people of color being wrongfully shot mm-hmm. by the police and the the vitriol that comes out of that mm-hmm. and like the response, you know, a man was able to sell, George Zimmerman was able to sell the gun that he used to kill Trayvon Martin for $250,000. I don't, like, that grieves my spirit. Mm. Like, yeah. Like, what, what, like, what, what does that mean yeah. when you're doing that, yeah. you know? Um, and so, like, we have a fun, we have a problem, mm. and I think Black Lives Matter is trying to address that problem. And they're yeah. also there for the rights. I mean, they're also there for the rights of Latinx communities, and they've mobilized with Latinx communities. They've mobilized for undocumented folks. They've mobilized for LGBTQ trans rights. So, like, yes, it has expanded for sure. Yes, yeah, yes. and it's interesting because, of course, that has actually in itself been a criticism mm-hmm. uh, from from some from some Christians I know in this country who perhaps you know happy about uh, Black Lives Matter and perhaps I don't think would say they're against LGBT rights but they might say well, well define what that means right, 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 uh, but right. you know the, sexuality I know is, is one of the areas you've worked in in fact you've talked about um, you want to do more teaching around issues of spirituality and, and, mm-hmm. and sexuality what contribution do you want to bring to that particular debate I'm, I mean I'm thinking yeah. particularly issues here around gay marriage about how the church treats gay people yeah I mean I'm I- 
that and also just like how the church treats single people. Right. Like, yeah. um, you know, I definitely have felt like, like less worthy um, because I wasn't married. Or, like, less able to participate in the church because mm. I wasn't married. And I'm like, last time I checked, God <laughs> said I was, like, a whole human. Um, and also, like, navigating that. And I, I think, like, we have to navigate not just L- how we treat and address, um, um, like, uh, LGBTQ-identified folks, but also, like, how we treat straightness, heterosexuality, right? Because one of the things that... If I'm not willing to be discipled in my own sexual life, mm-hmm. how can I then turn around and ask my queer brothers and sisters to be discipled in a way that I am not disciplined? That seems like fundamentally not of God and mm-hmm. just and, and, and not helpful, right? Um, and so I want to talk about these things, exploring like young folks have so many questions about sexuality. They're like, do I become a sexual person once I get married? Like, only once I get married? I'm like, no! <laughs> That's yeah. impossible! Yeah. Like, um, and so, like, just dealing, having these open conversations. Maybe, I mean, it's not that I'm against celibacy. I'm actually for celibacy, I think. But I think it, it can't just be, I don't have conversations with my kids about sex and I just pretend it doesn't matter mm-hmm. and it do- and 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 they're christian so that's it they're not mm-hmm. going to do anything yeah that, that, that needs to be more openness for yeah, sure and yeah and it needs to be just more nuance yeah absolutely well um i wanted to to go back to something you said in in part 1 cause you mentioned just briefly um your sort of experiences with having muslim friends mm-hmm. and i know you traveled in the middle east mm-hmm. you've read the quran i understand at one point in your life there was a bit of a dilemma here as mm-hmm. to which way you should go between christianity and between islam can you just tell us a bit about that story from a personal level of, mm-hmm. of what you went through in that dilemma yeah. and i guess how you have it seems resolved that and you are now would call yourself a christian <laughs> yeah <laughs> um yeah, so like I, I was dating someone um, who was Muslim, um, and we had like a, a very serious relationship. Um, I was like, I can't. Dual religion households could work, but I want to pray with my spouse. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, just when I have an issue, I want to be like. Hey, yeah. I have this issue, and I want us to have a collective understanding of how we should go about resolving mm-hmm. that, right? Um, I'm also a part of like a lot of interfaith dialogue uh, questions, and a lot of like the misconception, at least on my end, um, from 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 Christians and interfaith people in general, like people who are like more aligned with that kind of worldview, is that like we all believe the same things, we all basically believe the same things. It's just like you know a little bit more salt, a little bit more pepper. No, we fundamentally believe different things. Mm-hmm. Um, if I were a Muslim, I would be a different person. Of course, yeah. So, like, and there would be good things about that, and there would be other things about that, too. Mm-hmm. Just in the way that being a Christian makes me have dif- different things that are that are good. And, yeah. and, and my understanding, my conception of good mm-hmm. is different. Yeah, of course. Um, so there is a fundamental disagreement, and yes. there are two different religions, yes, for sure. Yes, there are two different religions. <laughs> um, that... <laughs> That being said, I do believe, you know, what Muhammad Ali has said was like, you know, like all of, like the world religions are different streams and they all have different amounts of truth in them. Mm-hmm. I personally believe Christianity is the closest to or has the most truth in it. Um, 
but I've also found different truth and I, and and for my experience with Islam so basically what I started doing was I, I changed small things about my lifestyle for so I stopped eating pork mm-hmm. um then I, I changed which of course some Christians do right yeah right? Exactly. from the old exactly. testament exactly <laughs> so I stopped eating pork yeah um then I started uh uh observing Ramadan sure so I fasted for uh, yeah. the month of Ramadan, um, and I prayed five times a day. Uh-huh. Um, I prayed through Jesus, but mm-hmm. I like pray. I like established the practice of, of prayer five times a day, right? Um, which was like amazing. <laughs> oh my god! Okay. So you just started praying more, right? I mean, I, that's not a big deal. Well, I started praying more in a Muslim fashion, right? But right? To, yes, but to right. Jesus, right. to and to through Jesus. Jesus. Yes, so, yes. So I was yeah. like, you know. yeah. Um, but I started reading the Quran. Right. Um, I started reading the Quran um, to see for myself what was in it. You hear stories about Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. And some of them are the same and some of them are different. Mm-hmm. And you're like, wow. And then like you like read it, like you read some of Well, my Arabic is like <laughs> kind of okay. Um, but, it's like, better than mine, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. But like there's this like beautiful quote in the Quran, which is like Jesus, uh, um, which is like the breath from God, like the spirit from God. And I was like, and like, that's the only person in the Quran that's ever described in mm-hmm. that kind of language, mm-hmm. right? Um, perfectly sin, the only person who is perfectly sinless, the only person. So they like believe a, a very similar things about Jesus. They right. just have a very specific problem with the terminology son of God. Mm-hmm. That, that, that doesn't work. Yeah. Um, and, um, and I remember praying and praying and, Breaking up with my boyfriend, and I was like, God, is this man for me? And God was like, no. And I was like, oh, okay. And so I broke up with him, and I was like bereft. I mean, I was just like, oh, it, it, oh, it was really painful. And I was in Egypt. I was living in Egypt at the time, and I met a, a guy who had converted from Islam to Christianity to Islam, Christianity to Islam. And he was just going in on my faith. He was like, this doesn't make sense. This doesn't make sense. This doesn't make right, sense. Yeah. Like, we don't even have documentation of Jesus from this time. This time. Like, and he was—he just like eviscerated me, and I could not defend myself. And I was already like raw emotionally. And I just remember like walking out of the library, like just like on fire. And it was the moment of like the only moment of complete humility that I feel like I've ever had in my life. And I was like, Lord, I don't know what I believe. I was like, if you want me to be a Christian, I'll be a Christian. If you want me to be a Muslim, I'll be a Muslim. If you want me to be Buddhist or Jewish or Hindu, I will be Buddhist, Jewish, or Hindu. I will be an atheist if that's what you tell me. And I was like, but I need to know, mm-hmm. and I need to know now. Mm-hmm. Like, And I like hopped onto the bus. I was like walking to the bus from the library. I hopped onto the bus, and my mother, who didn't text at this time, because this was back in 2009, she didn't text, but she sent me a text message, and she said, nothing else matters but sacrificial love. And, like, that was just, that was it. That was, like, God answering, like, seeing me and answering me in a way that was, like, unequivocal. Mm. And I was like, okay, that's it. Like, now I interpreted that to be Christianity. Now, God did right. not say Christianity, Islam, whatever. <laughs> but he interpreted that, like, and, 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 like. I guess for you that reminded you of. Yes. sacrificial death the Christians yes. will immediately think of Jesus yes. on the cross right yes, exactly. so that's what that meant to you yes exactly that meant exactly. I've got to follow Jesus yeah. exactly so I was like okay yeah and like and that settles it that, that, that settles it amazing wow um, now 
We've talked about, you know, some fairly hot topics already. Islam and uh, sexuality, Black Lives Matter, very important issue. Uh, one more, one more hot topic for you. Donald Trump. Mm. Now, you're an evangelical, yes. but you didn't vote for Trump. Nope. And, you know, you're black, but obviously mm-hmm. most of your community voted for Hillary Clinton and you didn't. Mm-hmm. So I guess that in itself is a reminder that people are people and you can't just slap labels yeah. on people yeah. anyway. Yeah. You didn't vote for either candidate. No. And I guess, I guess like plenty of people, you know, you just weren't happy with either option. And now that Donald Trump is president, how do you feel? Fiery. Um, you know, one of the reasons why I didn't vote for Hillary was because I ultimately thought she was going to do more evil than she was going to do good. That's also why I didn't vote for Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. I'm not voting for evil. I'm not siding for less evil over more evil. I'm not siding for evil. I'm Mm -hmm. just not. Um, That being said, when I, like, watched the election and he won, like, I, like, you know, my heart dropped. And um, when I first said, like, Donald Trump, our president, like, I gagged. I, like, like, it, it... it, it's actually repulsive to me. That being said, I think there is some potential ways that like God and savvy folks um, and the church can use this moment. Um, it exposes the truth of the fact that America is not post-racial in any sense. Um, and if we are ever going to get beyond what I believe is the fundamental problem for the American nation, which I think is racism, mm-hmm. um, we have to do it. Like mm-hmm. we just have to. We just have to do it. Mm-hmm. It's either going to happen now or it's not going to happen. Right. Um, so we're kind of at a crossroads. Mm-hmm. I think like if if Hillary would have gotten elected, we wouldn't be having these protests. We wouldn't be really trying to figure out how can we mobilize on a on a on a local level to support organizations who are already doing the kind of work that mm-hmm. we want to see um, being done and. I believe, you know, if something, if you have a boil or like a, a some kind of pustule, you have to stick it and then it has to ooze out and get gross and nasty before it can actually heal. And like, this is like it being really gross and nasty. Mm. Uh, the question is like, is America, does America as a whole want to mm. heal? Mm. And I don't know that that's possible if we don't have a repentant spirit. And I think... The largest critique of America, I would argue, is that we do not have a, a repentant spirit right. as a nation. Um, and that, I think, comes from poor discipleship of Christians within the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and we need to be modeling what that looks like. Mm-hmm. And so it's not about this, like, bluster and who, like might makes right, which I think is, like, what's sort of, like, happening right now right it's about being like wait when i say america make america great who am i including and who am i already excluding we get to the end with everyone or Mm. we don't get there Mm. at all yeah um and i can't like this is like what i fundamentally believe is like a christian notion that like the the idea that sin is communal my personal sin has an effect on my community, which means I'm responsible to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't get free if the rest of my community is not free. Like right. whether I'm talking about black people, but I'm also talking about white people who are, are, believe and are enslaved to white supremacy. Mm-hmm. Like we all have to, we all have to get free. And 
to, to believe that I am separate from you in any way is a fundamental lie. It's a lie from Satan. And I am out here to try to dismantle it in whatever way that wow. I can. Amazing. Well, Alicia, it's been fascinating to chat. Where can people go if they want to hear more? Yeah, um, you can check me out on my website, which is www.aliciaharris.com. Or you can look me up on YouTube if you type in my name, Alicia, A-L-Y-S-I-A, Harris. Um, My stuff will come up. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me.